immediately after the discovery on Easter morning of the empty tomb, um, we find ourselves on the road to Emmaus um, with a couple of Jesus followers. If you are able to stand to receive the gospel today, please do so now. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other as you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Karl Barth was one of the best-known theologians of the 20th century. I make mention of his name every now and then in telling one or another story. Well, this morning is another one. Um, Barth traveled the world. He was well-known in theological circles and in the church. He wrote extensively, and his books are still to be found uh, on library shelves and pastor shelves throughout the world, translated into many languages. He lived in Basel, Switzerland, and that's where he, uh, he grew up and where he taught. Uh, one day, the story is told, he was traveling from the university to his home 
uh, on the bus or the streetcar that he typically he typically took. And um, a tourist got on the streetcar and just happened to sit down next to Carl Bart. And uh, the two men uh, uh, pretty soon struck up a conversation, and Carl Bart inquired, "Are you new to the city?" And the tourist said, yes, as a matter of fact, I'm just visiting for a couple of days. I've never been here before, and I'm, I'm so thrilled to be in Basel. Is, is there anything in particular you'd like to see while you're in our city? Bart asked the tourist. Why, yes, he said. I would love to meet the great theologian Karl Barth. Do you know him? And Bart replied, well, as a matter of fact, I give him a shave every morning. (laughs) The tourist got off the streetcar at the end of the journey so delighted, he went back to the hotel and told the rest of of his group that he had met Carl Bart's barber that day. I think that's a great story. There was a tourist in the presence of the very person he most wanted to meet. But even with the most obvious clue, he didn't get it. He never realized that the one he was talking with was the great man himself. It it reminds me of of Mary's reaction on Easter morning. Do you remember that that wonderful part of the Easter story where where Mary is looking into the tomb, weeping because she thinks they've taken Jesus' body and hidden it away. And she looks around and there stands a man and the, the, the story says she assumed that he was the gardener. And she asked the gardener, sir, if you know where they've taken him and laid him, please tell me so that I may go get the body. And this man speaks her name, and she recognizes that it it is Jesus himself. And of course, there's the story that we just read about two of Jesus' followers on the road to Emmaus. Later, that same Easter day, and they walked for a while with the resurrected Jesus himself, but they had no idea who they were talking to, who they were walking with. Each of the Gospels tells the Easter story in a different way. And in each of them, there are those intriguing encounters just like that. In Luke's account of Easter morning, the women took spices and went to the tomb and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb and they didn't find Jesus' body. Two angels were there. Why do you look for the living among the dead, they asked. He's not here He is risen. When they returned from the tomb, they told all those things to the disciples, Luke tells us. But says says Luke, the disciples did not believe them because their words seemed like nonsense. So except for the testimony of the women, things were not at all resolved on Easter morning in Luke's telling of the story. That's That's why this story of the two men on the road to Emmaus is so important for Luke. Because it is here on the road to Emmaus that Luke finally resolves the matter completely. That Jesus is indeed risen and he appears and he is made known to others. Evidently, these two fellows were among those whom the women had told their story 
of the empty tomb. And these men were on their way to Emmaus, about, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. But we don't know precisely who these fellows were. One of them was named Cleopas, but we don't encounter Cleopas anywhere else in the New Testament. And we don't even know the name of the other person who was walking with him. And we don't know why they were going to Emmaus. Perhaps it was their home and they were returning home. In disappointment, they had concluded that their grand adventure of following Jesus was over. And so they were packing it in and heading back to the lives that they had lived before they met the master. We don't know why they were headed to Emmaus. What we do know is that as they walked and talked with each other about their experiences and their expectations, Jesus came up and walked along with them. But they didn't recognize him. They didn't know him. Isn't that fascinating that Jesus himself would be walking along with them and they didn't know? Just as fascinating as a tourist getting on a bus in Basel, Switzerland and not recognizing the famous world-renowned Karl Barth whom he admired. All these disciples had been following Jesus. Now he's walking with them. They don't recognize and maybe maybe the same thing happened to them that happened to Mary earlier in the day their despair and their disappointment with the way things turned out stood in the way they were so downcast so depressed so overcome with fear and sadness that they couldn't see what was going on around them that can happen you know you can lose hope you can discard your dreams You can become blinded to the good things going on around you when something occurs that is so disappointing and so distressing that you can't see beyond it. Certainly, you know, this week of all weeks at First Church, we might be able to imagine how that can happen to people and families. You know, I'm sure that we've we've suffered the deaths of three of the saints of First Church this week. Uh, Cephas Zimmerman and Bill Dietz and, and Gail Elder, all of them, you know, people who have walked with us for long years and have carried on their shoulders the, the, the burdens of faith and ministry with us. And, uh, and now they, they, have, they have all died within a matter of two days. We can understand, can't we, from experiences like that and from experiences in our own lives, how, how disappointment and sadness can overcome us so much that we can't look up and see the good. That's about us. Leith Anderson is a pastor and an, and an author. And he tells a story about when he was a boy, he, he grew up outside of New York City. And, and, and during the, the years of his childhood, he was an avid fan of the old Brooklyn Dodgers. Well, one, and his dad knew about what a, um, what a fan he was. And so one day, his dad told him that he was going to take him to a World Series game, just the, the best dream of any baseball fan. And the, the game was between his beloved Dodgers and the Yankees. And he just knew, Leith just knew, he was so excited that the Dodgers would trounce the Yankees in the World Series. <laughs> Unfortunately, not only did the Dodgers lose the game, But they never even got on base. The poor kid's excitement and his hopes and his dreams were shattered. And he never forgot 
the experience of being at a World Series game, of course, but also of seeing his team, his beloved Dodgers, lose so miserably. But he tells the story that years later, he, he was engrossed in a conversation with a, a fellow baseball fan, but this guy, he said, was a walking almanac of baseball statistics. He knew everything. And so Leith told him his best story. He said, I, I went to a World Series game once. He said, but it was a real downer. It was such a disappointment. I've never really gotten over it. I was a Dodgers fan in those days. And not only did the Dodgers lose, but they never even got on base. And the fellow he was talking to perked up. His, his eyes got wide. He said, he said, you mean to tell me you were there? You were there at that game? You were at the game, at the very game where Don Larson pitched the first perfect game in all World Series history? You were actually there and witnessed it and saw it? And Anderson said, well, well yeah, but we lost. <laughs> he then realized that he had been so caught up in his team's defeat that, that, that he missed the fact that he was there to witness one of the most remarkable games in all World Series history. And, and Leith answered, in, in reflecting on that, Leith Anderson writes, I wonder how often the same thing happens to us. We get, we get so caught up in the defeats and the disappointments that we experience that the times when, when things don't turn out like we want them to, so we're, we're depressed because an illness continues to linger or people don't treat us the way that we think they ought to and we face financial difficulties, we face disappointments at work and at home our kids don't behave right and our grandchildren behave even worse. But we are so often <laughs> blinded by the pain and disappointment of those defeats that we fail to appreciate that we might be witnessing something far greater that God is doing in our lives and in our world at the same time. Those are wise words. Don't let the, 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 the temporary disappointments, the ones that may seem overwhelming at the moment, blind you to the good that God is about in your life and in our community and in our world all along. Don't assume that any disappointment is God's last word to you on any situation. The followers of Jesus certainly thought that their dreams had turned to dust. All had come to naught, and worse than that, they were in danger themselves. The last thing they expected to discover was that Jesus was alive. Perhaps that's why they didn't recognize him when he walked with them on the road. They were so blinded by their disappointment that they couldn't see that the one they mourned was standing there with them. What are you discussing together as you walk along the road, Jesus asked them. They stood still, Luke tells us, their faces downcast. They didn't even look up to see who was talking to them. Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here? What things? Tell me about it. About Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet telling Jesus about himself. And then the stranger began to admonish the two disciples of Jesus. He says to them, 
How foolish you are and slow to believe what your very own scriptures have spoken to us. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Luke tells us, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures about himself. And then we come to one of the most beautiful passages in the scripture. When he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. Were not our hearts burning within us, they asked, while he talked with us on the road. They got up and returned once to Jerusalem, something unexpected and dangerous in itself to travel a road like that at night and on foot. Seven miles was a long way in those days. They found the 11 and those with them and they added their witness to what the disciples gathered in Jerusalem had already figured out. It's true. The Lord is risen. He has appeared to Simon and and to us And we recognized him when he broke the bread. It's a beautiful story of two men who were in Jesus' presence and didn't even know it until he chose to reveal himself. Wonder how often that happens to us. There may be someone, maybe many of us in this room today, who are now distracted from seeing what's going on around us, from seeing the marvelous things that God is up to in our midst because we've been confronted by a significant disappointment or a defeat or some unfulfilled dream or disappointed hope. Maybe you too have been blinded by your circumstance and you don't even know that when you are in this room and in this hour, You are in the presence of the risen Christ. For where two or three are gathered in my name, says the master, I am there with them. John Calvin once said that that the Bible is like a pair of eyeglasses. Did you ever hear that? Think about it. The Bible is not a spiritual encyclopedia where we go to have all our questions answered. With years of studying the Bible, we may never come to a sufficient understanding of many things, certainly not a sufficient understanding of why we have disappointments and defeats. There's much in our world and much in our faith that we do not understand. But understanding is not the key to life. Faith is. Trust in God is. God's eyeglasses don't allow us to see why we are going through this or that or why we've experienced this disappointment or that defeat. But God's eyeglasses do allow us to see what step we should take next. And they assure us that the future of what the future holds and the one who holds the future will never forget or forsake us. You've heard the expression, seeing is believing. But most of us have also heard the converse that there are some things that have to be believed in order to be seen. And that can sometimes be more true. There are two ways to look at life. One is through the eyes of skepticism and doubt, and the other is through the eyes of faith and hope. The only people to whom Jesus appeared after his resurrection were people who already believed in him. They had to believe in order to be able to see. Seeing didn't make them believe. They believed first and then they saw. It's no accident 
that Jesus had these two men on the road to Emmaus recount all the events of the week that was past. They told the story of Jesus of Nazareth, how he was great in word and deed, how they took hold of him in Jerusalem and imprisoned him and crucified him. Jesus wanted those fellows to focus on all they had been through together and all that it had meant to them so they would be prepared for him to reveal himself to them because they had to believe before they would be able to see. I believe that's the value of gathering here each week in worship. When we do so, we in effect put on the glasses of faith We practice our seeing. We polish them up so we can see through them. We practice our believing. The things that you and I are called upon to believe about Jesus of Nazareth, just like those disciples long ago who were called upon to believe that he'd risen from the dead, the things that we are called upon to believe are not easy things to believe. They're not easy things to convince others about. They're not easy things to hold on to through time. That's why just like it's not easy to learn to play the organ, Nick, or the piano, or to play football well, or to win a World Series, you have to practice. Practice and practice and practice. We come here on Sunday mornings and it's essential that we do to practice our believing, to practice our seeing through the eyeglasses of faith. I have no doubt that those who make an effort to be in worship each week see God's hand at work in their lives much more easily than those who are casual in their worship. Just like those who practice their craft or their skill day by day, become much better at it than those who practice casually, maybe getting to it once a week. That's the way it works. In order to see Jesus, in order to see God at work in the world, in order to recognize the good things that God is doing and calling you to do, you need to believe in him first. Believing, you must believe first before you are able to see. And in order to believe, you have to practice believing. You have to practice wearing the eyeglasses of faith, as John Calvin would say. You need to be regularly in Christ's presence and with the people who share that faith so that you can practice the craft and the art of believing because you will not see Jesus until you believe. Put on the glasses of faith. Take off the glasses of skepticism and doubt and life will take on new meaning and wonder. Even those who were closest to Jesus didn't recognize him until they took off their disappointment and despair. But when they were able to put on the eyeglasses of faith, they realized that Jesus himself was there in their midst and their hearts burned within them in joy and peace that Jesus, Jesus the master was alive. Amen.